Welcome to the brand new Lifters League podcast. So this is a continuation from the Muscle Nerd podcast, which we ran about two years ago in 2018. And so it's been some time coming, and now we have the brand new Lifters League podcast. So this is our first episode, which we are taking a bit of a different approach as a conversation-based podcast, and we're also putting this up on YouTube with some of the things we have planned in the future it is going to be best watch on youtube so you can go to you can go search lifters league and go to our new playlist the uh under podcast and we will uh post them up there so this is the first episode bit of a pilot test for this episode to see how it goes especially with the filming side of things but we are going to talk about a simple topic um, about nutrition uh, specifically for powerlifting and uh, we do dive into a little bit more other things with body composition etc so uh, enjoy um, hello and welcome to the first episode of the lifters league podcast uh, my name is ben ashmole i'm here with my co-host gus cook um, and basically we start this podcast because gus you're an elite powerlifting coach strength coach um I love this shit, and I'm an amateur, love to learn more, um, and we figured we'd start this podcast just to talk through everything and anything to do with lifting, um, and we're going to basically cover some amazing subjects going forward in the future, um, and we're also going to have some amazing guests, world-leading guests coming through um, to talk about various things to do with lifting, so should be awesome. Um so we thought we'd start episode one around nutrition, um, just having a general chat around nutrition for lifters. Um, it's a big subject, big subject. Everybody's got a different opinion on what diets to follow, what works. You know, you've got all your fad diets, you've got keto, carb cycling, the, everywhere you go, there's a different opinion. Um, so obviously, Gus, because you're obviously uh, used to working with world-class elite powerlifters love to hear what your thoughts are on nutrition kind of what your process is and where you start there i think there's two major points to start with but make what makes it successful a lot of my powerlifters is first always remember the fundamentals of nutrition um, yeah. it gets overly complicated you know it is about calorie balance which gets over um sometimes can get overlooked right the other thing is starting with i guess the approach we take is the most holistic approach possible where we'll start with um looking at the things that they're doing with food itself rather than trying to branch into s some sort of crazy supplementation scheme or some or any sort of special foods it's basically the simple foods such as meat rice vegetables that need to be um, put into the diet first and, and the correct balance of calories and macronutrients. Um, are there some yeah. specific things you guess you wanted to dive yeah, into? Yeah, so one sec, just the move the mic Sorry, we could just keep going. Sorry, a bit of a mic check there. Um, yeah, so I think one important thing you mentioned there, and uh, this is not something that most people like to pay attention to, but the calorie balance side of it. I think personally, I've I've tried everything, right? I've tried everything. I've I'm a personal researcher, right? So I'm one of those people who go online, spend fucking hours googling, looking at all the gurus. I think sometimes that's some that's the problem. Sometimes is right. that it's hard to be your own coach. It's hard to be your own yeah, yeah, nutritionist. Yeah. It's hard to see things objectively, and so this comes, I guess, to some of the initial things that we might do with an athlete is that look at their look at their basically it's, it sounds simple, but let's look at their goal. Yeah. And not only their short-term goal, but their long-term goal and what they want to achieve over their entire career, because we have a tendency that we become quite reactive with multiple short-term goals over a long-term period. Yeah. So if we have a competition coming up and we want to. Like, let's say in the long term you want a, 
a, you know, a thousand kilo total or yep. uh, one of the girls wants to hit a, a 600 kilo total. We can't keep sitting in a direction or be um, subject to what our weight is at the time or something. So it's quite common that girls would want to stay in a lighter weight class. And same thing with guys. Yep. They want to stay in a lighter weight class, but their training is demanding them that is demanding more muscle growth, which then requires more food. Um, their training output has to increase, which requires yep. more food. And this balance starts to become a lot higher than what people might perceive to be a normal diet. So you, you would have the standard the standard protocol of you know, 2,500 calories or 3,000 calories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where most of my competitive powerlifters are anywhere between 4,000 and 6,000 calories just to... Wow. Maintain maintain progression. Yeah. In okay. Their training. Um, so there's a lot more food that powerlifters need to be eating. Actually, a great example of that is, I guess, I was one of the first, say, strength coaches to introduce nutrition into the powerlifting world. Right. Um, so when I first started as a coach, as a powerlifter, I had a background in bodybuilding. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that led to, um. Some actually bringing some science that I learned from sports nutrition into the powerlifting world because yeah. powerlifting at that time was still just growing. So as a coach, yeah, as a coach, I ended up becoming quite big at the time. I think at one point I had 120 clients training athletes from gyms from nearly every single state. Do, do you think one of your biggest differentiators was the fact that you addressed the nutrition at the start? Yeah, when I first started for the first probably. Three years, two, three years of my career. Yeah, was that, nutrition. I, I, I remember. I, God, I remember. It still, it still kind of got that feel about it. But every when you think powerlifting, people think huge guys. Just all you want to do is pack on size mm. as much. Just get as big as possible. Don't worry about the nutrition. You just want to eat as much as possible. Eat as much shit, shit, oh, shit as you want. It it's was, just about lifting big. It, right? it was the it was the culture. Donuts, pizzas, <laughs> yeah. you know, calories. It was just calories. I mean, there's this podcast I used to listen to and it was it used to be a, a running joke that it would they would look for the best uh calorie dollar ratio so right, they'll okay. go to they'll go to mcdonald's and they saw that the biggest calorie per dollar was the filado fish but tastes like shit right okay but they didn't care because they'll for per dollar they were getting 400 calories fuck i remember i remember seeing uh god i can't remember where i saw it it was on a forum somewhere um i think it was called the go mad diet where it was basically just milk, right? So you just buy gallons of milk because mm. obviously there's lots, lots of uh, lots of fat going on in there. Just lots of full milk, and they were people were literally oh, drinking was, three yeah, liters a day. That was a that was a there was a that was a thing that uh, people would have milk through their training, so they'll carry like a three three liter bottle of milk <laughs> and drink it throughout their training. Fuck me! But here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like it. It it, it it worked. I mean, for the, for for their specific goals, they wanted to get big, you know. Oh, in terms of just throwing on weight, mm. it's far more intelligent now. Right. So the a lot of the, I guess the some of the trends I'm starting to see is that we're getting more specialized areas focusing on very particular um, subjects within powerlifting. So right. you know, it was powerlifting was a single i guess i'd say a single culture of just powerlifting yeah then you'd see some of the i guess nutritionists come over or dietitians come over into that space and improve right. powerlifting as a sport then you'll start to see the physiotherapists next to scientists come over to improve the injury prevention of the sport and yeah. this is where the sport has kept developing over time because we have more specialties coming in to yeah. hone in very specific parts of the sport to I guess, accelerate it. And I would say that's kind of the same thing here is that I've had to improve on all areas, yeah. not just yeah, powerlifting yeah, yeah, itself. Yeah. 100%. So what, what, my question from that in there is what, what are the, what are the differences nutrition wise from power? My observation is that a lot of powerlifters get their nutrition mixed up with people. They get it mixed up with the bodybuilding side a lot. Um, I mean, what I'm getting at is there's, there's a, People tend to eat to be lean and look good, right? So there's, I would, it says that people uh, always find to see see that people treat training and nutrition sometimes as separate. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, it's not. 
they have to work together. So people would diet to try and to try and like they'll diet like a bodybuilder, right? To get as lean as possible, got you. To lose as much weight as possible, or to try and make a weight class. And but they're not realizing that their training is suffering, yeah, because they're supposed to work as a synergistic system. Nutrition, in terms of a, when you look at powerlifting as a as a whole. You have the training stimulus, and then you also have recovery. They're the only two variables that we're working with. And nutrition is the recovery. And if right. we're not eating enough to support the recovery from training stimulus, then you don't progress. Your body composition might change. Yeah. Um, however, the performance you're getting from your training won't uh, won't improve. And then it kind of starts to work together that if your training's not improving, then your body composition won't improve. So you won't start. You won't build muscle mass. So this is kind of leads into a subject where I've managed to improve people's body composition, yep. get very, very, very lean, um, still get very, very strong in a calorie surplus. Right. So that's really interesting because the the, the general wisdom of people who I presume don't really know what they're talking about is that the only way to really change body composition in terms of body fat would be most people go for a calorie deficit, right? And I know a lot of your the results you get at you got at your gym. You had you had insane results with people who wanted to be shredded, right? But you were telling them all to eat more, eat more, eat more, so you can train more, train more, train more, right? Mm-hmm. So people confuse changes in body composition with weight loss. So right. weight loss requires a calorie deficit, regardless. It's the laws of thermodynamics. Got you. Right? Yeah, 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 require yeah. more energy output to lose to lose mass now composition however is just the composition of that mass and that can be manipulated in various ways it's mostly chemistry recovery stimulus all sorts of things that going again happen inside the body now getting lean um can happen through various processes it doesn't yeah, require yeah. you just to be in in a deficit so as we as we would both know that certain states of the body or certain energy systems utilize body fat and quite a um utilize body fat more effectively than something like you know something that's high intensity right which would use more i guess glycogen stores got yeah however something like training um improves like weight training in particular and building muscle mass in particular i would always say that it has an impact on their basal metabolic rate so yeah, yeah, yeah. the amount of amount of calories they're utilizing throughout the day, so um, or just at rest. So if someone's basal metab- if if someone is, how do I explain this? If we're not building muscle, okay, yep. we have um, where we're not. We would find that their basal metabolic rate would start to lower, drop, and therefore. Um, require less calories to progress or do more training. Right, okay. If I increase calories, all right, we sometimes get an adaptation to their basal metabolic rate to right. increase the training that we do, the kind of training we do with weight training builds muscle, which increases the basal metabolic rate right. as well. It also increases mitochondrial output, depending on the type of training we might do. Oh, yeah. So we might do some high-intensity cardio-based weight training, so I guess my cardio-based weight training would be um, sleds or prowlers yeah. or weighted carries. Love a prowler, yeah. And it would have this benefit of you know stimulating to either maintain muscle or, ma- or increase muscle size whilst having a positive impact on your metabolic output. Right, okay. Um, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there are various complex processes that happen inside the body that can manipulate that, that composition. Right. I think one point to remember is that I don't try and measure every um, stimulus or or measure every adaptation that's occurring in the body, except I measure I measure things on a macro scale, right, and then assess in micro scales as we as we go, or try to come up with explanations to the changes in a in a micro scale. Right. So that's interesting. That was that was what I was going to ask. Right. So. What I was going to say was, how do you track? Are you in as a, as a coach, mm-hmm. right? And this is the benefit of having a coach, yeah, who knows what they're doing. Um, 
Are you in control? How many variables are you in control of? Or are you just... Are you just basically going off training outcomes and working back from there? So oh. it's... I always look... I always have the true fundamental measurements, okay, where you can over-obsess about so many variables yeah. and each of them, the problem, you have a tendency of paralysis by analysis is that you. you'll yeah. start to be quite reactive to each individual variable. So what I tend to do is look at the two macro scale measurements. Has your performance increased? So does squat, bench and deadlift increase? Yep. And have we improved body composition? We are, the two variables you measure there is muscle mass and fat, and fat mass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything along the way, all the measurements I have along the way, make micro decisions on where I need to, to head me towards that trajectory. So I take I'll take all this information to come up with an idea, basically what is happening, and if I test that idea, yeah, or if I do something and can predict its outcome, then I know that following week or the following month, um, if we do achieve the goal I predicted, then I know I'm more likely to be right. <clears throat> And this is, this is the basis of the scientific method, is right. So that, that's the, that's sorry. That's the difference. That's your difference. And that, I think that goes back to the point you were making before about people using kind of short-term knee-jerk goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, the benefit of having a coach who really knows what they're doing is that you're basically treating every human being you train as a scientific experiment. It's all trial and error, right? Like, and it's all over a long period of time. You're always tweaking it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. I think those are all the things. I, there's this thing I do is called um, what's well known and uh, strength and conditioning is periodization. Yeah, is that we look at the one year to four year goal. Um, it's generally known as a four year cycle because of the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I haven't found a need to go up to four years, but I do go one, maybe two years if they're if they're really advanced. Right. Okay. And um, I'd have also, I guess, a kind of a mission statement, which is what their long term um, their long-term goal is. So it might be to be the best powerlifter there is in the oh, world yeah. or something yeah, yeah. like that. And that should guide every micro decision you make. Is it for that goal or is it against that goal? Right. And so you can start to look at this more objectively when people start saying, oh, I want to lose, I want to lose 10 kilos. You know, why? Is that counterproductive or productive right. to that long-term goal? Yeah, yeah, got you. Because yeah. we need to have this constant, whether it's, it can be slow as long as we're heading in the direction we're going. I'll have people who have come to me who've been training for 10 years yep. and still haven't made any more progress than someone who's done this for one year. And that's because they're hyper-reactive to everything that they do. They'll increase muscle mass. It's like, oh, I feel fat. I'm going to lose. That, may, gonna that's me, that, that is me. That's me. So I'm one of those people. And I think I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the only one. I think most people are. I, um, I train by myself. Mm-hmm. I've got all my gear in, in my garage. Right, and I, I'm into all of the science, yeah. So I went mm. the paralysis by analysis thing, but I change up my routine and my diet. Fuck. Sometimes it's monthly, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't feel. The only time I've ever had significant results, I'm having decent results at the moment. It's just be just adherence and consistency. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, that that's the other problem, right? That if we circle back to the nutrition, they expect after a month of eating kale that they're just going to be a superhuman right and they're going to be completely shredded um and then but then what happens is they what happened with me so i i um my body reacts really well to keto Mm -hmm. i I tried it it worked really well i lost a load of body fat my lifting numbers went through the floor it fucking sucked i had honestly it was the for training it was the worst thing it was the worst thing ever so what happened was i got lean and then I was like, a month later, I was like, fuck, okay. Numbers are going down. I'll up the numbers. And then I put on body fat again. It's just like a seesaw mm-hmm. thing. There's, there was no consistency in it, you know? So it's like, how and do this, you... Yeah. This, this, is where, this is where you have to have the objectivity of someone else to tell your team. Like, I, can't, yeah. I can't do my own diet or training, you know? Oh, interesting. I, you know, yeah. I have to have someone else, someone else do it and... I basically switch my mind, change, I guess, what I think in my mind as a coach compared to an athlete. So right. as a coach, yes, I'm constantly analyzing their progress whilst I'm keeping them focused on the track. So now when it's my turn, when someone's coaching coaching me, I don't look into it, okay? Right, I become okay. A meat, I become a meathead, <laughs> you know? Um, and I don't worry about analyzing everything because I know 
the same thing with my coaches, uh, with my clients or my athletes is that the, the sole focus is um, with their mindset to training is, well, first being consistent and disciplined with their diet and yep. that they have good training intent. So they're coming in with purpose and they're coming in to train hard and not to be over analytical about everything that they're doing, that they're just ticking the basics every single time. Right. Okay. So, so on, on that, right. This is the question. Do, do any, have any of your athletes achieved kind of like the magic bullet in terms of diet? Like, are there any that are lifting big and still eating the donuts? And have you ever, have you ever trained anybody with a objectively bad diet? Yeah. Heaps. Right. Okay. Um, uh, so it's, my approach would be different to everyone depending on their goal. Got you. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I guess I get, we have, I have two contrasts. I have one, I had one client who we, I prepared for a bodybuilding competition. Right. She yep. won in, she won the Victorian state championships, championships and IFBB. Right. Okay. Wow. We, the lowest we went is, uh, 1900 calories right into the day of the competition. We got down oh, yeah. to, we got down to 9% body fat. So, so she was, how, how, how much did she weigh? I think she was about 63. Wow. So kilos. 1900 is, is not low at all. Is it? That's, That's fairly, fairly high. Yeah. Um, or considered comparing to, yeah. And so there's the things like, uh, I read a post about this the other day is that I never let the, 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 the dogma of, bodybuilding methodology to influence decisions I make which are based off scientific principles yeah and not just scientific principles in terms of being able to you know compare to referenced uh, referenced experiments or, or work more that I treat each person as an individual and use the scientific principles to kind of make come up with my own hypotheses about each individual and right, about, okay and about every step and look at every step doing that every step of the way so um not so knowing that you know you don't have to drop calories to make that progress so actually a great story with with that is that we got down to nine percent on at 1900 calories yeah she also deadlifted 205 kilos one month one month out from competition our sole goal was to maintain strength you maintain strength you maintain muscle yeah yeah of okay. course now we there was a bit of bit of issues i mean with it with <clears throat> her partner at the time and he took over her he took over her coaching going right. into the second competition he dropped her calories down yeah and um she lost conditioning she didn't have as much fullness and size in her body and she then she ended up placing sixth in the next wow, competition okay. right even though there were six weeks apart you can improve massively in six weeks mm. but she didn't improve um dropping her calories now you drop calories performance drops so this this becomes a fine balance between between the two this is where i also have to gather a lot of subjective information yeah. about their motivation level so motivation is quite directly correlated to it's quite loud sorry so, about that we're, we're, <laughs> we're in a gym and a ridiculously old truck just <laughs> drove past so sorry about that what was i saying there's um, you have to um, work out their um, their goals and their ability to stick to it, their adherence. I forget what I was talking about. <laughs> um, yeah. So, all right. Well, let's circle back there. Okay. So, this this athlete you were working with drop calories. Okay, mm-hmm. which is. The traditional, I don't know why it's traditional, but the traditional knowledge of how you make a cut. Yeah, you drop uh, yeah, calories. So that, 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 that reminds me now. So looking at some of the subjective information, right? Um, such as motivation. Motivation is a big one. Right. So how motivated someone is to come into the, come into the gym can be correlated with their ability to recover from something. Got you. So if you're starting to get to a point where training is being overreached, then motivation tends to drop, not yeah. on purpose. So a lot of these athletes will still have drive, but then I would say, I would have a listen to what their intent is 
in training or how yeah. they're feeling, like their energy levels or their mindset, what they're thinking at the time. And that gives me a bit of information about their recovery. So do I need to, and then what recovery methods can I take? Can I reduce training? Can I increase food? Or should I change the load in the training? Right. Um, so, but at the same time, I'm still looking at their caloric output. So, or not just caloric output, but then also would also see what impacts I'm having on, on that body. So if I'm increasing volume or intensity, you know, I try to maintain that intensity without changing any other variables. So right. if I increase, if I increase volume of work, then we see a certain particular outcome, right? And it's positive. Then we can, I guess, maintain that trajectory without having to keep dropping calories or doing anything else. So utilizing right. other methods to try and manipulate body composition rather than just constantly cutting calories. And you can right. use a lot of, um, biofeedback to try and understand what decision decision to make and why that's happening. So that's why that motivation one, it's just one of many you might use, yeah. but that motivation one tells you what is happening that you need to improve recovery because of is it overstimulus. Now, you can look at other things as well as that. You might have an overstimulus in training, yep. but there are some things that work on the same, um, on the same, uh, what we call as a, the sympathetic nervous system. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. we have training that impacts the sympathetic nervous system, but also stress at work. So if their workload's increased, but training hasn't changed, then does it make sense that the training is impacting, impacting that? So you might focus on, okay, can you can we reduce the workload or the stress load that you're doing? Yep. So we might start looking at their lifestyle and then that will start to improve their body composition. So when we come, so oh, there's so many things. Right, okay. So many other variables you can look at and just, it's not just about, just about calories. And, the other big thing is that, you know, people want self-satisfaction quickly. So when yeah, you're saying yeah, yeah, yeah. that you, you know, you did that, that diet for a, for a month. Um, well, I ended up, I ended up, um, I ended up doing it for a few months. So I, it was weird. Like I got, I got really lean, which is awesome. I'm not naturally a lean person. Right. So I felt awesome. I looked pretty good. Training was shit. I was losing body mass. I was losing muscle But what did mass. you have to do to sustain that? And that's that becomes the next question. Is that is that a sustainable approach that you just taken to do that? Yeah. So interesting. It it wasn't. It wasn't right. So no. like you kind of get used to it. Yeah. Right. And, and by keto, I was just avoiding carbs, mm-hmm. just wherever possible. Um, I wasn't particularly loading up on the fat too much. I wasn't like eating sticks of butter or fucking people chugging coconut oil and stuff like that. Mm. It wasn't anything like that. I just basically removed carbohydrate from a diet, whether it be um, any starchy sauce, potatoes, mm-hmm. vegetables. Um, so it was just greens, meat. So for, for you, if you came into me as a client, we look at all the things all the small things we can improve. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then just measure its progress within a week. So you can make your significant progress in one week or measurable progress, but you wouldn't be able to visually see what's happening. Um, so that could be just some of the consistency you might be taking day to day. Just some of the types of food, some of the calorie density you might be taking. And we look at how that works within, I guess, within your, within your lifestyle. Now, Oh, let's say it. there are there are times so there are times where we might have to go really difficult. Let's yeah. say you might go into a keto diet, which I've had done with many athletes. Yeah. But you've got to have an action plan coming out. So we have something that creates change, but then we have to have something that creates that new what we what's known as kind of that set point. Right. That how do we maintain that body composition? So we start to look at things that will get your body to adapt being leaner. And that that's it. I mean, that's it. As, as soon as, as soon as I came off it, I yo-yoed like <laughs> the other. Thing, the one thing, the one thing that happened was because it, 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 it's not the best thing lifestyle-wise, right? Like if if I love to eat, I love good wine, love good food. Um, big part of my relationship with my wife is we go out for meals all the time. It's fucking hard to constantly find a low-carb option all the time mm. right but then what happens is i'm a naturally i've got an addictive personality when it comes to food i have a tendency to engorge myself mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm one of those people if i fall off the if i fall off the truck right i fall off fucking hard i go all the way down right so mm-hmm. i'll have a piece of chocolate and in my, the psychology of it is well i fucked up now so i might as well fuck up as much as i possibly can and then on monday i'll go back to it 
kind of thing. Mm. So anyway, I fell off the wagon. I was like, oh, I'll give it a shot. I just started smashing all the worst things, and you just yo-yo back the other way. And what happens? What happened was over six months, my net gain was zero. I was just mm. back to where I started. I was just lean for three months and struggling in terms of lifestyle, and then I was back where I started three months later. It's the, it's the thing. So you look look at some of the and everything that the body wants to do mentally, physically, how you feel, all of that yeah. are signals. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, that your body is telling you now. It, for you, it's it's just emotions that you need to that you react to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. My job is to look at this more objectively. So, if we're getting a a response of cravings for something that you're or something where you start eating and constantly start to yeah. eat, what's the problem here? Okay, and a lot of that is to do with first, let's say, look at the person's relationship with food. Now, why is yeah. that relationship? there yeah you know we're having this reward relationship that we punish ourselves with food we get this reward of change of body composition and when we don't do that we fail however we've got to start looking at this from a different different perspective if we have that tendency what i tend to do is overfeed the athlete in the first place and right okay now when we overfeed them we overfeed them with foods that are going to be more beneficial but they won't start to have as strong cravings of course for things yeah um the energy levels will start to increase when they have that piece of chocolate generally they don't want to keep going they're already quite satisfied or full right the body isn't in demand to want to gain weight or in demand for calories so with this improved nutrition composition we get improved training then we have then our body composition starts to change a motivational improve i mean there is nothing less motivating than being on a calorie deficit and lifting heavy it's mm-hmm. just especially if um i found it had a massive psychological impact on me because you just could never hit hit the weights you should be so you mm-hmm. just i mean one of the biggest thing from lifting from me is we all lift for that moment where you hit a personal best or you make an improvement you add two and a half kgs or whatever it is that that that's kind of what you do it for right the constant progression mm-hmm. if you're if you're on a calorie deficit, right, and your training suffers and you feel weak, mate, your motivation is, I was shot. I started skipping days and everything. Like, yeah, and that's the feedback you got to listen to. Right, yeah. Why is this happening? And, you know, what are some of the small things we can do to make, to make that change? And it was also the same thing that I do as a coach is that, you know, I have to feed that clients or that athlete's reward system right you're not going to see results straight away but how can i get you to have that have that sort of feedback so we can start looking at things like what kind of training do you enjoy what yeah. parts of training do you want to improve um, we can make small measurements within within your your progress that's measurable mm. but you might not see physically so they would say cool on paper here you are improving we keep in this trajectory we're going to hit our goal yeah so those small bits of those small, those small bits of reward along the way um, helps an athlete also stay on track. So, do you have an, do you have any elite lifters who've come to you with? I mean, I, I know all of them will have some kind of manipulation needed in the diet and mm-hmm. nutrition for the training. But have you had any elite lifters come to you, or people who've become elite with with serious issues in this area, um, where you've had to make massive changes and and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, very much, very very much, and. And from different, you know, from different areas as well. So I've had um, people with severe body image and eating and eating disorders, or and yeah, that's a common one. Like people have to, if you can't see it in the mirror, then it doesn't. That's another thing. You psychologically geared to what it looks like in the mirror, but mm-hmm. the problem is, what you see isn't a re- in reality. That's where the eating disorder mm-hmm. comes in, right? Because because even though you could be getting leaner, or I can imagine for females this would be 10 mm-hmm. times worse because of the social pressures guys as well fucking it's just as bad as the guys oh, as the girls fucking everybody's got because every time you pick up a men's health it's like how to fucking look like Hugh Jackman it's like mm-hmm. all this shit right but the problem is your brain tricks you into thinking even if you do look that way your brain tricks you into thinking that you don't anyway mm-hmm. you know what I mean it's crazy like so it's it's kind of a touchy subject and you've got to look at what the role of a strength coach is yeah. when it comes to something like this the first this is thing it, yeah. is that do they recognize they have have that problem? Um, if they yeah. don't, it can be quite quite tricky. Yeah, I can and imagine. So 
you can pick up pick up the first thing is that I generally you know you start to pick up certain behaviors and stuff like that and I would program in various ways with their diet and their training to start heading them in the right direction and then start and get also at the same time as we're heading in that direction get them to express I guess how they how they feel about what is happening yep. mentally yep. and this is just you know listening we're not trying to be I'm not trying to be their therapist yeah you know I'm trying to head them in the right direction in terms of eating behaviors um, and trying to elicit the responses to create healthy relationships with food but they need to recognize in, within themselves on what's happening until we can get to a point if that if they can admit that they have yeah. this issue is that they do seek seek help so this is where you know you can have these little blurry lines between you know what the, co- the role of the coach is when yeah. it comes to you know helping with this yeah um, I can imagine mm. yeah because people because I mean lifting and training is, is a I mean, we're going down a rabbit. We're going down a rabbit hole here. That's away from elite lifting, but it goes hand in hand. It all goes hand in hand. Like yeah, the it's 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 the simple things that you may have. Thing is, elite lifters is, is no different than training the general population, except yeah. they have a different mindset. Um, Got you. And a lot of the trainers I have, a lot of the athletes I have made to elite lifting, is were started me as started with me as someone who was of the general population. Right. Um, so, the same principles that I ha- uh, that I help with the elite are the same. It's the exact same principles I use with the general population. Yeah, because well. they, they work for both, right? Yeah, it's just the method or the I guess the execution is different for each person, and the problems we have to solve is different. Right. So, th- I mean, th- this this um, this makes it complicated for anybody listening who is. Amateur enthusiast, it's just a gym rat, right? They want to make they get, I guess, kind of like me, yeah. So they don't, they're not looking to be an elite lifter, right? They just, they just love to lift. Mm-hmm. Where do they start? Like, what should they look at? I mean, what are the? I guess a good question to ask is, what are the main things that people not get wrong, but what, what's usually the first thing that they have to adapt for the general population? Is there anything that stands out in terms of, in terms in terms of the nutrition and diet? Like, it, so I think I think the biggest thing I see is them recognizing them recognizing what their goals are. Right. Okay. And it seems simple, but it's actually quite hard because you'll have someone who comes in with a very particular goal, and yep. they say, "I want to get strong." Okay. Well, there's a little method I do is that uh, what if what is more important to you? Um, looking good. Getting strong, yeah, or moving better, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And and it's like, oh, I, w- I want I want all of them. Yeah, it's of like course. no, no. But what's what's more important to you? Do, do you and find that most people say they want to be strong, but then after you probe, they really want to look good and be strong yeah. at the same time? But it's the look good exactly. That's and then some, yeah. a lot of the times it ends up being that's their major motivation. Got you. They've yeah. just seen people who are strong and look good, so they want right, to get strong. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, like yeah. no, you just want to look good. Um, now you have people. You have another part of that where people are strong, or people want to get strong. I use that same question. They want to be strong, but all their language points to them wanting to look good. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so they need. To, they also need to recognize that too. The method wouldn't change too much. It'll just my method will be the same, except some of the, the prescription and execution of it, and my approach to coaching and what measurements I'm going to take to keep them accountable is going to be start to be different. Right, because yeah. you, can, you can keep them better motivated if you talk in terms of uh, body fat and things like that. Mm-hmm. If you know that that's their main motivation, you're going to obviously reward them on those measurables a little bit more, maybe, than just kind of weight lifted. And- um, I, I'd just be a little bit more, I guess, a bit more detailed about what's more important. Yeah. So, you know, with a lot of the elite lifters, it's not... It's not crazy important to be perfect with your diet, yeah. Except just being consistent, yeah. Of course. And so, if they're off track, okay. So, uh, an athlete from three years from now, from day one, is different. So, yeah, if yeah, I give yeah. them a diet, they they mess up, 
and then they'll go off splurging or something. It's like, okay, we recognize here's this problem. Here's some tools you can use to address that. And then two or three years down the track, they have so many tools up their sleeves is that they just know how to stay consistent yeah. majority of the time. And if they mess up, they know how to get back on track or they know how to make the best substitutions and so on and so forth. Um, so it is not imperative that they are absolutely, absolutely perfect. Mm. They just need to be heading constantly in the right direction. Now, someone with body composition uh, who wants to make extreme rapid changes, like, okay, so then I need to put more emphasis on their discipline towards that nutrition. Oh, yeah. And then start to build a relationship between, you know, extreme dieting for changes and then just general approach to nutrition. So this brings me to my, I guess, another step that I use is that there's a little pyramid. I, I, I show people that there are three stages to to diet that you have what's called comp prep diet a diet that make rapid rapid results and what everyone does it's all the fads it's the keto diet it's the calorie deficit then you have i would say the middle one which i i tend to call clean clean eating you know i don't like the word clean but or call clean eating meaning that we'll eat foods that follow uh, i guess particular principles but they're all good high quality foods yeah quite interchangeable we're eating plenty of you know plenty of rice potatoes or different types of starchy carbs different types of meat we're eating three four five meals a day Mm. they're quite balanced but we're kind of putting in whatever we want we have two or three cheat meals we have a couple of glasses of wine um but we have respectable principles that we follow that don't get us way off track and if we do get off track it's like massively then we know okay it's just one day let's get back on track and then you have the third layer, which is kind of more, I guess in that clean eating, we can also stick to uh, a training program quite well because we're kind of relatively healthy, still yep. following our calorie intake, yep. uh, basic macro breakdown, have enough protein, etc. Then you've got instinctive eating. I would say is the last, last one, which requires a high level of education. So this is not having a diet, but being quite intuitive right. with your lifestyle, the way you feel and uh, your training your training performance. So you wouldn't have any sort of guide. You just know a lot about nutrition to head in the direction. And you have to master all three to be really good. Right. And this, as an so this is where, this is where the elite athlete, the elite athletes, when they get to stage three, they can, they're basically so used to listening to what their body needs that they can kind of self-administer. Mm. Where, whereas somebody, somebody like me doesn't, I, I, I'm more trying to work out like, is the, I'm trying to trick the body sometimes, right? Yeah. I'm, I, don't, I can't interpret the signals properly. Well, you need to know how to move between all three yeah. constantly. So when it's time to go hard, then you move to comprep. Right. You move to a stage that it's going to create rapid results. Got you. Because then what people think is they, they have to go to that 100%. And then what do you do off that 100%? When they do it, it's like, okay, cool, I'll go back to normal. But your normal eating isn't good. Yeah. Okay, you need to change that so that your instinctive eating, when you're off, off plan, is a healthy relationship with food and there's something that is going to maintain that progression like how you said it's like i have one chocolate and i just go out yeah yeah, yeah. okay that is not going to create a, a successful athlete no of course okay or successful changes in composition because we need to find something that's sustainable and to be more mentally sustainable we need to learn how to move between all three because right. the other three are quite maintainable but requires a lot of information now me as a as a coach, I have to educate them, and they have to learn their best. It is best learnt through lessons, life lessons. So they'll make these mistakes. I give them tools. They use those tools, and then over time, they develop as an athlete mm. to become better. Right. Okay. So, so basically, you, you can have pardon the pun, but you can have your, your cake and eat it. Like, but basically, you can you can eat cheat meals. You can eat shit but as long as you are smart with it cycle it properly and move through the stages when you need to in in link with the training Mm -hmm. you're okay the problem is that people go i mean i know that there's probably a problem with a lot of people going all in on the 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 crazy fad diets long period of time completely unsustainable mentally um physically um and then yeah i mean i i know a lot of people who just don't eat carbohydrates. Like they just they just haven't for like a decade. Mm. They're just always in that, and they're terrified to kind of come away from it. You know, that, I mean, that can't be good. I mean, it, it really is. So much things. I would say everything depends. There are there are small pockets. There are outliners, but yeah. Um, yeah. Well, those are the people we all tend to kind of 
look to and go, oh, well, I want to be like that person. It's like, well, that person gets out of bed at 10% body fat. You know, you know that that kind. Of, I mean, that's the that's the that's the obvious example that everybody sees. Because this is why everything's individualized. Hundred percent, yeah. Um, and how we how we know what to do, and this is going to be a podcast for later. Is yeah. that that profiling that we may use, right? Yeah, um, is we need to put people in various categories, and in those categories, we get an idea about the method. Regardless of those profiles, though, it has been. Is still being responsive to the scientific method. Yeah, you know, if we having more carbohydrates and that and that doesn't elicit a great response, that person might not be very very well responsive to carbohydrates. Cool, and they may need to be at immediate. So, myself, I don't respond to high high carbohydrates. Right. Um, I find you know between I can perform quite well between you know three fifty four hundred grams of carbs, where I have some of my other clients on about six hundred right okay. grams of carbs for that before they make before they start to make progress, different body types. He will have trouble putting on mass where I don't. I yeah. have no problems putting on size. I can't get, I find it a lot harder to get lean. I know how to get lean because I know what I've done, what I respond to. And I know how to do that without it impacting my training, Yeah, training too much and without being in huge and huge deficits. It's that again, for me, that's been trial and error. And that's been something that I've had to you know, put experiments on myself and your your motivator just to go back to the three motivations yours is strength right yeah yeah so that's the other thing psychologically you're not desperate to be lean anyway no so it's just kind of a balancing for me it's just not being massively out of shape yeah you know i just but i only if 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 it took me to be 140 kilos to get a thousand kilo total i'd do it yeah you know um and i've done that Many times, I think I got up to 100 and 138 kilos, and my sole my sole purpose was to hit the 900 kilo 900 kilo total. Okay, um, didn't quite make it that comp, but I would have come I would have come close if I didn't miss a few of those lifts. And was that a healthy thing to do? No, it was highly specific for highly specific for that highly yeah. specific for that goal. I've also realised being that heavy that there there is there is a diminishing return to just being heavy. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah, okay. You know, I can perform better. I'll have different, different, better leverages for lifting with certain body composition. So now I'm motivated by improving my leverages. So I am oh. going to now reduce my body fat. So, so in terms of the science of the lifts themselves, the, the mechanics re- change if right. the weight okay. changes. I can so, never thought of that. Mm. But that's what I mean. People are just obsessed with. It. If I'm bigger, I'll lift bigger. Mm. It's not always the case. Right. So what are your, here's an interesting one. What are your thoughts on eating windows? So it, the, there's more and more traction gaining with intermittent fasting now. Um, I actually found I had pretty good results just basically waiting off till lunch and just having all my calories in the it afternoon. It always comes back to the same same principles is that people follow, people will end up having more controlled caloric intake when there's intermittent fasting. They just so only yeah because yeah, there's only a smaller window to eat. So they 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 basically it's not the intermittent fasting part of it. It's just that they happen to eat less because of the eating window. Yeah. So I've I've I have experimented a lot with this. And first, I think intermittent intermittent fasting can work for some people in terms of improving body composition. Yeah. If I have someone on quite low calories we might do intermittent fasting but not intermittent fasting in terms of that intermittent fasting makes progress except i just shorten their window of eating so they don't yeah. have you know they're not just having 200 calories or two, 300 calories per meal over six meals yeah, 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 you know, yeah they yeah. prefer to have a big meal so it really does depend right on yeah, that individual yeah, yeah, yeah. i however i have seen results on long periods of intermittent fasting where there are only very short windows of eating yet the cu- average calories over a week are the same so I look at, I, I've done some fasting protocols with people where we look at some of the windows over a week. So they're quite, they're quite, they're going to be quite difficult. So you might have yeah. up to you know 20 hours, even up to 30 hours. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Of, of not eating. I don't recommend this, especially for, for performance. Yeah. But there are some, I, I've seen some benefits in terms of um, increasing insulin sensitivity, even, even protein, even protein synthesis has shown that, that we can improve the sensitivity of muscle protein synthesis if there yeah. are periods of are periods of fasting 
overall, again, we just come back to the macro scale of things when it comes to performance. It is a horrible choice to try and, uh, to try and fast, and it is one of those things that are categorized in the higher end of that, I guess, comp prep yeah. ranges of dieting methods. Yeah. It is one of more of the extreme that you do because we're sacrificing something else to improve to improve only a high, more something that's highly specific. Again, we want to try and look at try and have everything work as that one synergistic system so that any variables we make in that system um, we can control. Right, so you'll ne- you'll you would never have an athlete train fasted, right? Never. Uh, right, so that I I've heard this a lot, okay. Apparently um there's a there's a, there's a subreddit on reddit called keto gains right mm-hmm. which which i find ridiculous because i could never gain anything on keto no. but one of the principles is you train 5 a.m 6 a.m and you train fasted mm-hmm. and then you a lot of people then extend that window and eat, eat at midday after uh, i think the principles behind this is they're trying to ma- manipulate various biochemistry or yeah chemistry in the body that in a fasted state, that they're utilizing more more fats. In, yeah. in keto, we're doing we're breaking. We know you no longer use glycogen. We're 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 breaking down fatty acids to create ketones. ketones. Yeah. And so, in the state that we're breaking down more body fat in within these within these time frames, so let's yeah. at this certain period, we're okay, utilizing more calories by training, and so that we utilize more more body fat for energy. Now, however, the overall effect. Is still really the mathematics behind it is still the same. We're right. st- we're still just in a deficit, regardless of whether you did that or not. And then at the end of the day, you decide to eat in the calorie surplus in that four hour period. You're not going to lose body fat, right? So, so what you're saying basically is, it, you you can you can intermittent fast for twenty hours, right? And basically for your long term goals. If you train immediately after your meal, or in the fasted state, it doesn't really make a difference. No. So the the, yeah. the, 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 the the mathematics would show that, you know, but you'll lift less when you're fasted, right? Like exactly. You you're, yeah. you're you're sacrificing performance for a small biochemistry gain, right? And so okay, what what what's this? What's the reward and loss on this? So if we eat carbohydrates before we train, we're more likely to improve our performance in that training. Yeah. All right, because we're going to have access to. If we, our blood sugars are high, all right, we have better access to to that glucose to to recover from set, put, from sets yep. and increase that performance. Mm-hmm. Now, if now what is the long term benefits or what is the immediate benefits of being able to have improved training? So it's like, okay, we're going to have increased metabolic output. We're going to improve strength because we're going to have adaptation from that. We could yep. improve improve muscle mass. Improving muscle mass will increase basal metabolic rate, which could lead to a higher thermic output to burn more body fat. So it depends on what, I guess, what approach people are looking for that quick, immediate gain within that time frame, rather than looking at the long-term benefits yeah. of of weight training. And in the end, you want to build a machine that burns fat, builds muscle, and gets strong. Yeah. And when you eat nothing and train, you're training to be weak. You know, you're. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, mate. That's a good point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, your body. Yeah. I, I think one lesson I've learned is your your body your body kind of adapts to the whole rather than the micro. So yes. this is the point where if you're, if you're 90% of your meals are excellent and 10% aren't, it's going to adapt to the 90. It's more, it's more about the consistency. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my experience with um, training fast, it's interesting. So um, I do, I still, I still train fast. I just prefer doing it. It's more like a timing thing life-wise for me. Mm-hmm. If I don't do it first thing in the morning, I, mm-hmm. I don't train. I can't seem to shit adds up through the day, through work or whatever. And by the time I get home, I've got nothing left in the tank. And I'm like, I can't be bothered, you know? Like, mm-hmm. So if I do it as soon as I get up, my adherence is better. But if I, I, I tend to lift to a heavy triple, right? I can't back that set up at all. Mm-hmm. I basically, once I go to a heavy lift, it's over. Can't, you, 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 it's like it's just all gone then we just look at the things that we can do before yeah. before before we train i mean getting something small in like you know a banana or yeah, yeah, yeah you know what what's the what's something that we can digest within that short time frame and that could be a piece of fruit and during training having some 
liquid carbohydrates like a Maximus yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, again, the, the, the goal there is that we want to improve that performance and having some sort of blood sugar, like having a Maximus is going to improve your performance. And, yeah. you know, you might not be able to have a huge meal before it, but you can do something. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But it, but it's always but it's always better to have something in the tank if you want if you're looking for training outcomes, right? Like if your outcome is yeah is is performance, yeah, building muscle, all losing fat. And build it, if you want to build that machine, right? You got to do it right. Okay. La- so la- last thing, we're going a little while. So the, the last thing I want to address is hydration, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the it's the one thing. When I was studying, so I, I studied applied sports science. This was, fuck, when was this? Like twelve years ago, mm-hmm. right? But it was, it was, it was more a course to work with elite athletes who are, you know, Olympics kind of like sprinters, mm-hmm. pole vaults or whatever, or team sport athletes. So it wasn't. I never really studied to for purely for powerlifting things like that, but obviously strength and conditioning was a major part of it, and it was coming more and more into the team sport world. Then, the one thing that was massively stressed um, when I was studying the nutrition side of it was hydration, but it's not spoken about. Like, if you go to any of these for anything talk about nutrition, they never speak about the hydration side. Is that something you focus on? Do you think it's do you think it's not that important or it's 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 definitely important. Like coming in dehydrated is not not the way to go. We had a habit I got my athletes to do is to weigh themselves before they train. Right. And if you're at your training weight, then you know you're most likely to be hydrated and ready to go. Right. If you're underweight for for some any particular reason then then we know it's most likely gonna be caused by dehydration. And so you've got to top that up before you train. Yeah. yeah, so that's, you know, I guess the standard protocol for that is they usually normally have about 600 mils, mm. about 60 minutes before before they train with right. some sort of electrolyte salts or carbohydrates. Yep. Um, and that should be enough to start getting you hydro, start the process whilst you start drinking some more water electrolytes and stuff during during training. Yeah. But for each individual, it is it really is dependent on the, ind- the individual themselves. Being consistent is 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 key here. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, if we're changing the intake of of water or having something that we that might dehydrate us, like you know, something like alcohol, then we're constantly changing our electrolyte balance and the way we retain water mm. and all this stuff. So okay. it's mainly just being consistent. And there's no there's no magic formula other than the science has shown that drink to thirst. Have ac- it's, it's, it's two things: have access to water and drink drink to thirst. The thing is, people will not drink, not on purpose, but because they just don't have access. And that can be as simple as having a, a glass of water next to you or a bottle that you constantly um, have access to so you can yeah, keep, yeah, keep yeah. drinking. And when you're thirsty, just drink. Simple. We have some visitors here. That's all good. No, no, come in. Come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We're, we're, we're finishing up anyway. Just doing a quick podcast. You're all right. You're all good. What were we saying? Um hydration yeah so i hear a lot of bullshit around uh three liters a day two liters a day there's all these like magic numbers Mm -hmm. thrown around um the other thing is people tend to not drink water right actually think about this like they actually a lot of that stuff is actually motivated by companies who sell hydration supplements such as yeah such as hydrolyte or gatorade and stuff so it's like you have to drink this much over a certain period of time, it's so they drink more of their product, right? But no matter how much, how much, how, how much you try to fix that or try to uh, try to find this magic formula, it, it thirst is your best indicator. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. Mm. And 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 your body weight. So weighing yourself before and after training. Right. Of course. Another subject we'll get onto in the future. Uh, we're gonna speak with a lifter who's had. Um, Interesting run-ins with uh, weight cuts, mm-hmm. um, and obviously you'll manipulate um, water intake a lot there. You're manipulating sodium electrolyte balances in the body, and that—that's another subject. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to bring in a lifter who's who's been very successful there mm-hmm. to discuss that in the future. But um, 
Yeah. I think I wanted to go over one more thing. Yep. Was just maybe a quick cheat sheet on what people can do. Right. So that's what I was trying to get at before. If I, if I'm, I don't have a coach, I'm not an elite lifter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm training in my spare time around work. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to be strong. Um, and I want to look good. Those are usually the two main factors. Mm-hmm. What am, what am I generally doing wrong as a general member of the population? And what are some things I can easily apply? So let's, let's talk specifically when it comes to just strength strength training. Yep. All right. First thing is finding what the cal- your calorie balance your calorie balance is. Um, there are simple formulas online you can utilize, um, and or even something as simple as these these Apple watches. They okay. tend to find out your caloric output. Um, in a day and so once you find out what that caloric balance caloric balance is is that we're at least hitting that as a target yeah at a minimum and again this is just an in general principle another general principle um and this again this applies to athletes as well mostly likely in the off season when in the when in your when in on season coming into competition i generally aim for a slight sur- sur- surplus yeah but we manage and track body composition to ensure that the food is um, can generally tell us what the food is doing to the body. Yeah. If we're losing muscle mass, it's most like, uh, but still gaining weight, again, that just shows that we're having a high stress impact on the body. Right. So again, let's come back to these simple principles. Um, three, let's say we look at three to five meals per day. Whatever works best with your lifestyle. There's no again no magic. No magic, mm. magic number. I would, eat, eating frequency hasn't changed, doesn't change too much in terms of body. Comp- so the studies have shown that hasn't changed too much in terms of body composition, but can impact energy levels. Right. So I find at least three to five meals per day is going to be the best. So it's dividing that up, dividing your calories up over to those over those meals. So if you have that three thousand calories a day over, yeah. over you know five meals, that's what six hundred six hundred calories per meal. Or something like that, and then um, some simple. I guess, I guess some simple formulas you can follow. Protein is normally at least one point six to two point, say two point yep. four grams or right. something. Two point two, two point four grams of uh, protein per kilo of body weight. Right. So if I'm a hundred kilos, you want to have one hundred and sixty to two hundred and forty grams. Right. Um, if you're just looking at maintaining. At absolute bare minimum, go for the lower end. Right, having more doesn't doesn't yeah. increase any more any more muscle mass. It's 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 a good tool to use if trying to manipulate body composition. Um, but again, if we're just strength training, one point six is plenty. Right, plenty. Interesting. Fifty percent of your carbohydrate, fifty uh, percent of your calories should be carbohydrates. Generally, forty to fifty, forty-five say 40, 45 to fifty percent should be carbohydrates it's a major source in terms of recovery energy you use in the gym yep um timing those carbohydrates around training so that we having enough carbohydrates before we train yep um and even some intra intra training carbohydrates uh can help not necessary but it can help with energy yeah, le- yeah. managing energy levels and generally a high intake of quite a high intake of fat now I'm not saying extreme levels of fat, but higher than what most people would prescribe in a, yep. in, in a typical diet. I'm saying in between probably around about 30% of your calories should be from uh, should be from fats. Um, this massively assists with uh, recovery, um, hormone output. So it's it's the major source in terms of producing helping your body produce testosterone. Right, which is huge for body composition and yeah. strength gains. Yeah. And so that's basically what the literature would show um, right. on, I guess, the basic principles on maintaining or prep, um, or increasing strength. Right. And so, so what? One of the one of the things I'm pulling from that then is don't keep your nutrition and your training separate. Eat to train. Right. So, so your diet should be geared around your training, mm-hmm. and you know that if you're getting stronger. And you're, you can increase the f- kind of your, your training level. The body composition side is going to kind of work itself out, right? For the general person, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So that's why if you eat more to train more, you'll probably have positive body composition yes. results. And the mistake that most people make is they think... Confusing body composition with weight. 
right, so I'm, I want to I want to cut body fat, yeah. So my nutrition should be this, but I'm still training the same way, and they're, and they're mm. both kept very separate. It, there's, there, you, like, have have people actually? No, have you actually tried eating in a calorie surplus and see if you lose body fat? You know, have you like? And that's that's the thing is like, well, how do you know if you haven't done it? So we always try to take always try to take the path of least resistance. Yep. And see how far in that direction I can go. So then we have plenty of tools to work with down the track. So if we need to go on a calorie deficit, then that tool's still there. And it's going to be a lot more beneficial because we have adapted the body to eat more calories, which is then going to increase that person's metabolic output. Yep. Right. So okay. manipulate this is manipulation of 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 adaptations that we know occurs in the body. Or, or which we call, I guess, homeostasis. Yeah, I would say probably the number one key that I uh, I would focus on with this then, in terms of a rule of principle of trying to get person to eat more calories as looking at is trying to create homeostasis at a higher at a higher intake. Yeah, and in the opposite direction, if we're really lean, how do we create homeostasis at a lean composition? Yeah. So you got to look at the differences between what what are you what are you doing to sustain a particular a particular outcome, and then what are the, some of the uh, what are some of the small changes we can make to adapt that person to eat more food at that leaner composition? And then there's certain principles of reverse dieting or simple training methodologies that would increase that person's, again, metabolic output yeah. or just purely gaining muscle or many tools. Again, right, kind of, okay. And this is coming up with a strategy for someone wanting to get very lean. Right, and there's there's heaps of um, TDE calculators online, um, mm. but they're yeah. they're they're always starter points. They're never yeah. never never. <laughs> yeah, people fucking people think like scientific methods, and it just asks basically height, weight. Yeah. Again, so again, it, it, it's, it's it's again it's a, it, that's based off a, a large population study, and we've just extrapolated that data to to an individual. Yeah. The thing is, you can't apply that. You can't apply a broad spread, a, a one fits all. For one person it's a starting point because the research has shown that okay these group of people on average yeah, need yeah, about yeah. this much calories for this amount of output but everyone a single person is different so you can use that as a starting point but i actually have a tendency not me personally so for everyone else like that's a good starting point for me i actually look at i actually try and break down each part so i actually look at all their activity throughout the day how yeah. much training they're doing and how much food they're doing and having and then what do i need to change from point a that they're doing now to make some sort of change in the right direction right so instead of just going hardcore into something 100 percent. so so what you're saying is instead of coming out of nowhere with a number completely changing your diet completely changing your training you look at what they do what they eat and what they do during training then if your outcome is to increase um to increase their their three lift total okay you would then start to manipulate those factors to towards that rather than scrapping everything going from scratch going finding a td calculator and just yeah so they can yep. they can just be tools you use as a guide got you so if we're let's say we're 500 500 or 1000 calories um below your what your um t uh, tde is yeah yeah um and you've been in that deficit for a very long time but haven't made any change then i know this person has an adaptation to a lower caloric intake yep and that they're not that they have a slow metabolic output so i have to start adapting that person to head right. in that direction to get them to more of an ideal position so they're more so they are more of a fat burning machine got you okay mm. so don't just fucking starve yourself people mm. um and don't don't worry about the fad diets all right mate well i thought i think that was awesome that was good we smashed out about an hour yeah all right well uh until next time. Until next time. Thanks. That's the first episode wrapped up. More to come.